Welcome back to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. Today we're talking to one of our graduates from the Holistic Performance Institute, someone whose podcast last year was perhaps the surprise favorite of the year with the most uh, streams and downloads. This is a guy who has uh, been a former top-level athlete, uh, moving into a different sport in endurance athletics, doing Ironman and multi-sport and excelling in that as well. Uh, loving that so much that he moved on from a very lucrative career in the corporate world to being a nutrition and performance coach for endurance athletes after having studied with us at the Holistic Performance Institute and studying at Massey University. Uh, This is a guy that I have a lot of time for. He's a self-experimenter who's doing some really interesting stuff in the nutrition space. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Paul Cadzi Cadman. Welcome to the Carb Appropriate Podcast. I'm your host, Cliff Harvey. Welcome back, Paul Cadman, my man, Cadzi. How you doing? Good. So most people will know you from that first um, podcast, and without any sort of disparagement at all, we were, I think, all a little bit surprised that it was the most popular (laughs) cast of that early set, considering you're up against some pretty um, well-known people and, you know, Lara Bryden, Pete Evans, Scott Gooding, you know, all people with pretty big followings. Yeah. Um, but I think it goes to show, also, obviously, Dan Plew's mm. podcast was was yeah. super popular. Yeah. And I think it goes to show that the interest that people now have in all these sorts of areas of performance hacking, biohacking, you know, mixed fueling, the things that mm. both you and and Dan are into. Yeah. Um, and last time we obviously spoke a lot about that experimentation and those, those fun and interesting things you were doing. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, well, mate, I have, well, I decided that I should probably do a couple of races. Um, so I put my name down for an aqua bike in Napier, which was about a month ago now. So 2K swim, 95K ride. And a couple of weeks ago, myself and Josh Ferry, who I coach, uh, did Brecker, which is a uh, swim run event, which was really different uh quite challenging uh long day so we we took seven hours um a lot of rock hopping a lot of swimming it's not your usual race it's more uh definitely in the adventure racing sector i would have i would say instead of the usual uh half ironman ironman type racing for a lot of endurance guys but i tell you what i actually i I went into it shit scared um but I really enjoyed the day. Uh, and I think a lot of that was to do with the mindset that I took into it. And I think we talk about that a little bit today because 
you know, it was another good learning for me in terms of how mindset can really uh, impact performance on the day. Uh, yeah. From a biohacking experiment point of view, experimenting point of view, uh, you know, we tried a few things around training nutrition, I guess, as well as during uh, racing and training nutrition that, that you gave me some ideas around. So look, I'm, I'm really keen to have a quick chat today about uh, MCT, Superstarch, uh, Cordyceps, and how I use those with some guidance from yourself. Um, collagen has been a really interesting one for me over the last uh, probably three or four months. I've done a little bit of running again with, with a bit of a buggered hip. Um, so I was quite keen to experiment with collagen uh, from a first-hand um, perspective and see how that went for me. Yeah. Uh, I also uh, thought that I would strip out a lot of the a lot of the meat and dairy from my diet for a period of time. Uh, so we can talk about that as well. Um, yeah. Probably went pescatarian, I suppose. Uh, not a lot of fish, though, but uh, definitely very, very light on the on the meat side of things and dairy. Uh, so that was another interesting little experiment experiment for me. Uh, and I think, look, if we delve into the Brecker side of things as well. There's definitely some learnings there for me in terms of metabolic efficiency and how that can help you to perform on the day because uh, Brecker being seven hours for us uh, with very few aid stations fueling during that event was pretty interesting, it's fair to say. Mm. Uh, so I definitely took some learnings out of that, which was, uh, it was super cool. Really enjoyable as well, actually, and a, and a nice little different challenge. Yeah. So you said you were shit scared. Was that because you hadn't been doing the, the same volume of training that you'd previously done for events like this? Because you know, spring chicken. I mean, you've done plenty of endurance events. Been around a little while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mate, I it's it's really funny. I had a look back over my training for the Brecker event, especially because I knew it was going to be a long day. Uh, my biggest week of training in terms of volume was six and a half hours, uh, which is not a lot for a seven hour race. Um, so there's a learning in there in terms of how you use that available time to stop your training for events like that, because you can still get through them. Uh, you've just got to think a little bit more about how you use the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was that was a, a definitely a really interesting uh, process for me, I suppose. And that's another piece of the puzzle uh, in terms of how you perform come race day, right? Because uh, if you focus on the process and you don't focus on the outcome, then the chances of success are um, magnified um, greatly mm. as opposed to really just becoming fixated on trying to hit a time on the day. Yeah. So that's a, a really interesting topic i think i've been thinking about that a lot lately getting getting back into working with a lot more athletes mm. um obviously different kind of athlete to what you're working with i'm working with strength and power you know mm. fighters mma mm -hmm. guys boxers but i've been really grappling with the topic of how much we need need to train or how much we should train because yep. there's massive variability you know you have mm -hmm. some guys who <laughs> what was the old story i think it was um Roberto Duran or one of those great welterweights of all time was apparently towards the end of his career doing like 
three 20 minute sessions a week or something mm-hmm. yeah is that optimal probably not but you compare that to a lot of the top guys who are maybe doing four hours a day or more mm-hmm. in the gym yeah. and i just wonder you know what's the what is that magic number or do you think it, it just differs so much between individuals and obviously it differs between sports and disciplines you know yeah. where, where are you at with that with available time oh look i mean i've been thinking about this quite a bit recently i'm doing a lot of planning uh, for the guys that i coach for their uh, race season next year and one of the well, a couple of questions i'm really honing in on with them is uh what do you what do you actually want to achieve what do you want to get out of this why why are you doing what you're doing um you know if it's to be uh healthy and fit and to look after the body and you know kind of play a role in helping you to get to 80 and be able to play with the grandkids and stuff like that that's cool uh be be true to that if you're someone who wants to go fast then you know you're probably going to have to do things a little bit differently uh and then secondly how much time how much of your time do you actually want to give to this? Uh, and be realistic with it. Uh, you know, if you think you've got 15 hours a week to train and you want to use that time to train, then cool. But, you know, uh, I think probably with that amount of time in a week, you, you should be uh, going pretty fast. Um, if you just want to be fit, you know, just figure out how much time you want to give because these other commitments as well. You've got to work, you've got to sleep, you've got to play with the kids, all these sorts of things. Uh, so um, my thought recently has been a lot around how I use uh, the time that people give me to coach them uh, and how I can be most effective with that time because uh, t- time's precious, you know, uh, it's not infinite. So we do want to utilize the time as best we can and build uh, training and help people to achieve their goals using that time they have uh, the most um, the most effectively. So how, how does that sort of work for you? Because you, you mentioned the the outcome which is not necessarily the goal right if your goal is to do a marathon your outcome might actually be to to be healthier and spend time with your kids and you know have longevity all that kind of stuff so there's the goal there's the outcome there's also obviously the individual and what they require do do you do a needs analysis on on your clients as well yeah i think from a from a really understanding the drivers i mean i talk a lot to the guys around understanding your values as well and what uh, intrinsically motivates you and as soon as you start to understand those factors uh, you probably become more engaged with why you're actually doing what you're doing um, so you know if you want to if family's a massive uh, core value of yours and you want to be around for your family then actually stay true to that um, and that might mean that you don't train 15 hours a week you train eight hours a week gives you seven hours of your week back, plus you're still there for your family in 50 years time. Um, so understanding the why is a really big part of it. Yeah. Uh, and the why changes. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm coaching uh, early, mid 20 uh, year old guys and their why is they want to go fast and they want to go to world champs. Um, that, that's just part of where they're at in their life. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, equally, I'm, I'm coaching mid 40 year old guys who just want to be fit and healthy 
and be around for the family. Uh, you know, they've come from a past where uh, their health hasn't been great. They're using endurance sport as a vehicle to get themselves um, out there, improve their well-being, you know, um, and make sure that they're actually around in 30 or 40 years' time so they can enjoy the grandkids and stuff like that. So, yeah, from a needs analysis point of view, everyone's, well, a lot of people are quite different. So you do need yeah. to understand that. So you customise obviously a lot, right? It's not just all about best practice and that's what works for everybody. Yeah, no, that's right. I think, uh, you know, we all do our research and we all like to uh, read the latest um, findings and try and incorporate those into how we interact from a coaching point of view. Um, but to your point, um, what works for you ain't necessarily going to work for me. Uh, so, and that's, it can take time to really understand what makes someone tick uh, and which buttons to press at an individual level to keep those engagement levels up um, from, a, from an exercise point of view especially and from a nutrition standpoint. Yeah. Um, so if you think about what people put into their bodies on a daily basis uh, and how that impacts what their life looks like and or could impact what their life looks like in 30 years time it's massive right yeah yeah definitely um but you've got to join the dots for people and it's how you join the dots that can be sometimes uh provide the biggest challenge from a coaching perspective um yeah do, do, do you think that there are a lot of athletes out there who probably train too much or, or do you think that's a bit of a myth Oh, look, I reflect on the amount of training that I used to do. Uh, I used to do it probably a fair amount. Um, short answer is, yeah, I think I think most people or a lot of athletes out there are still of the opinion that more is better. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I don't necessarily buy into that at all. Um, you, you can make really good use of quite a small amount of time and achieve some really cool stuff. Uh, from yeah. a from an exercise and well-being slash racing perspective, uh, so yeah, if you've got ten hours in the week, it's it's enough time. You know, you you don't have to you don't have to race twenty hours. If if you're a Dan Plews and you're you're racing uh, the house down at Kona, then yeah, eighteen twenty hours is probably where you have to be at. But Dan's a pretty special individual, right? And he went super fast at Kona and mm. he's setting records. Uh, that's just the way it is at that, uh, that point of the triangle, if you like. But for the majority of us who want to challenge ourselves and be the best that we can be, no, you don't have to invest 20 hours of your week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... Um... You know, there are things that we pay lip service to that are not necessarily translated into practice as well. And one of those is is quality of work. Yeah. You know, quite often when I take on an athlete, they, they might have been doing quite a lot of training. But when I look at what they've actually been doing, it's very easy to fall into, you know, I do, let's say I do, you know, I'm not an endurance athlete. Let's say I'm a top level fighter yeah. doing 10 hours a week. But a lot of it is just doing the stuff that they enjoy. It's not doing the things that they they actually will get the most benefit from. Really but I've worked with world champion level fighters who were previously not doing any strength and conditioning work. Yeah. Or maybe they were MMA fighters and they would do like, you know, two grappling sessions a week 
and their ground game is non-existent, but they love kickboxing. So they just do that all the time, you know? So I often think that we don't do a proper either analysis of the needs of the athlete or have a proper attention to the hierarchy of what is most effective as well. Um, Because, you know, obviously for an endurance athlete, it's probably, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably to be out doing the discipline, whereas the rest is the icing on the cake. Um, for a lot of fighters who are going to be in the gym doing their bag work and their sparring and stuff anyway, because that's what they've always done, I'd say the hierarchy of needs probably goes to strength work. Mm. Yeah, look, uh, I have ongoing conversations with a few of the guys that I with a few of the guys that I coach uh, who are endurance athletes, and uh, week in week out, trying to show them the value of working on the weaknesses. So if you think about a performance curve and where you get big bang from your buck, it's it's not from focusing on your strength because in theory that should already be at the right-hand uh, end of the performance curve. So, you know, you invest another two hours in your strength, you get a 5% benefit or a 1% benefit. You invest two hours in your weakness, it's a 25% benefit. Um, but generally speaking, the weakness is something that uh, the athlete doesn't enjoy doing, so it's not going to happen, yeah. right? I mean, that's just the natural response. The natural human response is to do stuff that you enjoy and you're, yeah. you're good at. You know, the difficult, the, the hard part is actually understanding your weakness or what your weaknesses are or your opportunities and really focusing on that. And, you know, that's another really interesting uh, topic of conversation around self-awareness. Yeah. You know? Yep. Uh, if you, so I, I, I do a little bit of corporate work um, in terms of peak performance and self-awareness is massive. Yeah. If you're not highly self-actualized and self-aware, uh, then the chances of you succeeding diminish. It's a proven yep. fact. Uh, and it's a translatable um, example, taking it out of the corporate environment and transplanting it into, you know, the type of work that you and I do, whether it be nutrition, uh, you know, fighting, endurance, whatever it might be. One of the cornerstones of success is actually the self-awareness of the individual. Absolutely. I think as well with, you know, one of the reasons I really enjoy your approach is because you are so methodical with what you're doing. And I'm sure that comes from the things you've done previously with your business experience and whatnot. But I think we would probably be of a similar mindset that if someone has an available amount of time to train, we want that to be the time that they will actually train. No, no questions asked, you know, whereas a lot of times you talk to people and say, well, how much can you train? And they say, oh, I can probably do 10 hours a week. Mm. It's like, that's, that wasn't the question. How much can you do? Yeah. And it, it, it's actually probably closer to six. Mm. And I'm, I'm sure we'd rather work with the six that they're actually going to do because the reality is if we plan for 10 hours, they're going to do the stuff that they like to do in the six and flag the other stuff. Right. So we're back to square one to some degree. Great. I've had this, exactly this conversation last week. Exactly this conversation, uh, you know, Went through planning, uh, identified and talked about goals, why you're doing what you're doing, um, intrinsic motivators, value sets, self-awareness. Um, and, you know, look, let's talk about how much time you want to give to this. Uh, 
answer is X, reality is Y. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, exactly the same process happened. You know, went away, built some plans to X time. Reality was Y. So I've had to go back and sort of unbundle everything and think about how we use Y and not, not X. Other way around. So yeah, you put your points really valid. Um, and it's it's a really interesting one, you know, like people I think will always try and inflate the amount of time they can spend exercising or want to spend exercising because they think that more is better. Exactly. And I find it's also for some people at least, for some athletes, it's the it's the kind of thing that they can exert control over most easily. You know, I remember working with some, obviously I don't really work, work with endurance athletes anymore, but I did in the early stages of my practice. And I remember working with some endurance athletes and their answer, if they wanted to improve, was always train more. Yeah. And so I was working with them just purely on nutrition, not for mm -hmm. any of the coaching stuff, because I'm not an endurance guy. Mm -hmm. And they came back to me and it was really interesting because a number of them said, look, this is like free training because I'd never really paid proper attention to my diet before. Mm -hmm. Now that I am, yep. you know, I would have previously done five extra hours on the bike. Now I don't need to do that because my, my performance has improved from nutrition yep. and would work on things like sleep and stress reduction, all that kind of stuff. And that's why I think the, you know, looking at this in a holistic way, as I know you do, and looking for the the added little things we can we can put in very easily that don't require us to then be on the wire so much. Mm, mm, mm. They're critically important, right? And, and a lot of that's low hanging fruit. Uh, so they're not exactly. they're not massive changes that have to occur um, to get you know what your uh, athletes call that free training time. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are really simple. Uh, little changes that people can make in their lifestyle that buys them two hours a week or whatever it might be. You know, you talk about stress and sleep and all those sorts of things. Well, actually, how in tune with your sleep quality and your stress level and management are you? Um, you know, so there's definitely those low-hanging fruit that, I'd say most people can uh, pick that gives them that time back in their week uh, that means you know, they go and play with the kids for that two hours that they currently going to ride their bike for or whatever it might be. Yeah. And you, you've been using um, HRV to, to help quantify that sort of stress load and all that kind of stuff. Eh? How, how are you using yeah. that at the moment? Uh, look, I mean, I started using HRV with most of the guys that I coach um, probably three or four months ago. I, I've been using it for quite a period of time myself, and I have been with some uh, maybe one or two athletes. Um, and look, I think for a lot of people, uh, heart rate variability uh, provides tangible feedback really, really quickly in terms of where they're at um, from a physiological standpoint. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, um, the app that Dan was involved in uh, pulling together, I think is a great resource. Uh, and like I said, just provides that tangible piece of feedback for people that actually shows them um, whether they should be out there exercising 
that particular day. I mean, look, we, we don't say that if you're out of zone, then it's definitely no exercise for the day, but it actually just gets people thinking a little bit more holistically. Um, whereas previously, you know, they might have woken up in the morning uh, and without HRV, they just went out and did the five-hour bike ride. Uh, well, now if they use HRV and it flashes up that they're uh, out of zone and some of these subjective tags are negative as well, it just gets mm. them um, thinking a little bit more about the process and it might end up with a phone call uh, saying, hey, look, I'm out of zone and, you know, my motivation's not great this morning. Should I go and do my five-hour ride? Well, no, nah, probably not. Look, I mean, you might need a little bit of a rest, you know, go and do a swim or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a really valuable, uh, holistic piece of feedback that people can really benefit from using um, because it just gives us another level of insight in terms of uh, how that person is operating, like I say, at that holistic uh, level. Um, yeah. And definitely, like, definitely, like I said, gets people thinking differently in terms of how they manage themselves. You know, like, uh, oh, wow, I was out of zone. What did I do yesterday? Oh, not much actually, but I had a really stressful day at work, <clears throat> rubbish sleep, you know. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, I actually going and doing a five-hour ride is probably not the best thing for me to do right now. Yeah, uh, that, that's a great point. I think that's what a lot of people miss is it's not just about the number. It's about the, 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 the self-awareness that you're talking about, yeah. realizing the things that are maybe pushing you out of yeah. zone. Yeah, yeah. Connectivity is massive, right? Um and I, I see it as a good tool to actually help people become more connected with themselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, actually, do you understand your body? Yeah. Do, do you understand how you, you operate? And this is yeah. just another nice, tangible piece of feedback that actually gets people thinking about that, whereas previously they might not have. Yeah. I think as well, well for, for me, the main benefit, because I'm working with quite a different class of athlete yeah. to you, yeah. is helping to find that individualized level of volume mm. for a given athlete. Because if I'm working with a, someone who's at the very top level, world mm. champion, their training volume is probably different to the, the guy they're fighting or, or whatever, because they're all different physiologically. Mm. And it can be a bit of a minefield to figure out how much we're going to plan in terms of strength versus conditioning versus straight cardio versus, you know, skills work. And I think it's a nice thing as a coach to have sitting there in the background that, yeah, we're probably on track, you know, yeah, rather right. than fuck, we've, we've smashed this dude for a week and now he's just tanking. Oh, look, I uh, worked with uh, a good friend of mine uh, last year, last year leading up to coast to coast and we used HRV uh, to monitor his training load and response uh, because we had him using MitoQ as well, which we might talk a little bit about if we have time. But um, his – it was amazing. Like he, he was – he wanted to go faster coast, so we were logging some pretty uh, big sessions and he was doing a lot of volume and some uh, quite high-intensity work as well because he was bike racing. His HRV was very, really out of zone, very, really. So it just showed 
uh, how much he could handle in terms of stress. Uh, yeah. And we would get to a point where we would have a conversation and he would literally say to me, I, I need a rest from a, I, I just need a rest, mate. I can't, I can't go on. Um, and we would kind of laugh because we'd both say, HRV just says, you keep going, mate. But, you know, it's a, <laughs> it, that was a really interesting part of the um, management process, I suppose, in terms of his training, because we both knew he needed a rest uh, more from a, probably from a mental uh, aspect more than anything else. But on the other side of the uh, coin, we both knew that he could have just carried on. Yeah. And I talked about this with, I've talked about this with you before, actually, but I talked about it with Dan as well. Yeah. That, that weird place you can be in as an athlete um, where there are times when despite the fact that you feel like crap, you should probably push through because yeah. you have to, right? And you've got to learn how to overcome that. Yeah. Um, you've got to learn resilience and whatnot. Yeah. There's other times when you should probably back off. And I think having that extra measure can tell you that, well, I feel a bit shit today, but I'm still going to get in and, and give it a good go. Yeah. Or you know what? I'm, I'm legitimately exhausted yeah. and I'm going to do an active recovery session today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it was a it was a super interesting process, yeah, and it sh just showed you how much the body uh, can absorb sometimes. So, do, do you use HRV as a day to day sort of acute loading thing, or is it more um, to take care of their chronic volume? Because Dan was saying that obviously till till now it's mostly been more more chronic because people didn't think it necessarily had acute application. But from what he mentioned, there's been a study now showing that acute changes based on hrv is actually very effective too yeah i think um it kind of for me part of the answer is who you actually use it with and how they respond um yeah you know so if you're uh highly in uh tune with your body and you're highly self-aware then i think the application would be slightly different or different versus someone who um, had very little connectivity with their body and their self-awareness was quite low. Uh, I think, you know, the tool itself has um, various applications in different environments. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I'd probably, to answer the question, I think, you know, I would uh, use it differently in different situations for different people. Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, um, yeah, it's a great tool in understanding how what sort of acute load people can uh, can soak up and how far you can uh, load them up. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, what I do like about it is it provides a, a lot of insight that you can cut and utilize different ways um, to help build that kind of optimal load, um, I guess, mm. probably, and it allows you to dig into that uh, and flex things as you might not necessarily have been able to do previously because you didn't have the insight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So you mentioned before that um, you had this guy you're working with on, on MitoQ. Yeah. You've been using that as well yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, tell, tell us a little bit about that and what, what it is. Oh, look, I, th I mean, I, so MitoQ, I mean, the, I guess the, the high level view of it would be we've got some scientists down in Otago who've managed to build this supplement that uh, 
the molecule size is uh, about was well, obviously small enough to get inside the membrane of the mitochondria. It's an antioxidant, you know, mitochondrial health. We know declines once you start to get to 30 odd. I mean, because it's a form of CoQ10, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so what it's doing is it's delivering the good stuff to where it needs to go in a lay sense. Uh, whereas a lot of the other supplements that may be touted to have the same impact, uh, you know, 10% of the volume of that supplement gets to where it needs to go. Uh, the difference being in, in this instance, um, it's, you know, 90% as an example. Um, it's, it seems to be coming back. I know I've heard a lot of particularly endurance athletes, well, endurance athletes or, or athletes who require a large training volume, CrossFitters, you know, yeah. multi-discipline athletes, people like that. Yeah. It seems to be really coming back in terms of people talking about it because I know a while back mm. people were talking about CoQ10 a lot and then mm. it kind of dropped away. Right. It seems like a lot of people are using it to boost their, their resilience and their work capacity. Is, mm. is that what you've seen? Yeah, definitely. It? Yep, yep. 100%. So for me, this isn't a race day supplement. Uh, it's it's a um, it's something that you can take as an aging athlete that's going to help you recover quicker from the training load. That's yeah. me. That's <laughs> all of us over 30, mate. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, there's 180, I think, uh, studies that have been published around MITRE-Q, but that's specifically around um, disease. Around MITRE-Q specifically? Yeah. Wow. Because um, I know there's a lot more on CoQ10. I did a uh, research review mm -hmm. just a couple, about a month ago, and mm -hmm. I think there had been 30 systematic reviews published in the last decade on coenzyme Q10, right? Okay. So you can imagine the amount of studies that had to, that went into basically 30 systematic reviews for different outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, so the MitoQs uh, came into the world more around helping those with uh, MS, as an example. You know, um, and that's where a lot of the research has resided. There's just yeah. recently been a, a study uh, kicked off in at Auckland Uni around the benefit for athletes. Um, so, I mean, I and convinced that uh, the, there's definite benefit there from a uh, recovery uh, point of view for those of us that are over 30 that get out and exercise regularly, as well as, as, well as all the other spin-off benefits. But, you know, if, if we go back to uh, my mate who did Coast, like he's, uh, he's past 30, um, he, he was doing a, a lot of, uh, load. He was getting a lot of load into the system, uh, and you know the anecdotal feedback from him was, "Holy shit, mate! This this stuff's I've changed nothing else. This stuff's unbelievable. What's what's going on here?" You know, and we were like, "Mate, I don't know. Just roll with it. Let, let's just <laughs> let's just see where this goes." You know, uh, yeah. and I had the same experience. I wasn't training uh, nearly as much as he was, but definitely from a recovery uh, point of view when I married it up with my heart rate variability uh, very infrequently was I out of my zone when I was training uh, I'm washing out at the moment so I'm, I haven't used MitoQ for 
probably four weeks now um, since I did Aquabike, and I'm I'm out of zone a lot. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's quite it's really interesting actually. Um, and the cool thing is, for anyone listening in, I don't use it, I don't sell it, <laughs> and I'm nothing to do with the company. So yeah, anyone who thinks this might be an endorsement, I'm just interested because well, yeah. uh, obviously, as an aging athlete myself, I'm looking for any advantage. Yeah, yeah. As we all are, mate. It's, it's their biohack, right? You know, like yeah. um, yeah, you know, like I work with the guys at Mitre Q because I I actually see the benefit in the product. Uh, yeah, and I don't. I'm not someone who gets excited about this sort of stuff too easily. Uh, but from what I've seen uh, and the the feedback that we've managed to or the insight we've gathered through using HRV would tell me there's definitely something in it. So uh, yeah, to watch the space, it's a really interesting one. Yeah. You were really getting the dose up, right? Uh, from what I remember, you were using much higher than the standard dose. Yeah, another interesting one, another bit of a biohack, mate. You know, we're always looking for different stuff. Uh, so uh, I was probably taking up to 60 milligrams a day. Um, recommended dose is 10. Um, I got some questions with the, the guys at MitoQ. You know, actually, uh, can you use this product in a similar way to something like creatine you know can you go through a load phase uh where you reach saturation almost where you've powered up the mitochondria again uh, yeah. and then you uh might uh get to not necessarily a plateau type phase but you know there's no point shoving in 60 milligrams a day anymore because your mitochondria are powered up You've reached saturation yeah. and you just want to go through maintenance. So you dial it back to 10. Uh, and what did they say about that? That Did they sort of think that was possible? Yeah, they thought it was possible, but they, they didn't they, they didn't know the answer. I mean, it's all new stuff. And especially um, some of the questions and insight that we're generating from, a, um, from an athlete's perspective, they haven't really dealt with previously. Uh, so that's where the really interesting piece is for me because we're starting to, I guess, uh, generate insight and questions that haven't been asked previously uh, of yeah. the type of supplement potentially, while well, this specific supplement. Yeah, that's something that's worth, you know, I'll definitely go back and take a look at the research on MotoQ and, and CoQ10 as well because mm -hmm. what I quite often find is when you see equivocal results particularly in, in reviews of the research just a matter of reviews meta-analyses um it doesn't always equate very well to the the dosing in different studies and when we do like dose dependency and we do some sort of you know linear regression on it we can quite often see that there's basically a tracking up of results mm. with the dose and um you know we, we see that with a lot of things like the fish oil studies and whatnot mm -hmm. seems to be that those where people taking higher doses got better results yeah. but balance you know there, there was a pretty small effect size that's because a lot of the the studies were underpowered in terms of the the dosage mm -hmm. um, so i wonder whether something like that's happening with this but what i certainly know is that most people that i know who are using coq10 in any form mm. are really jacking the dose up <laughs> yeah 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 I, funny story actually because uh the guys at might uh had a phone call from a uh customer uh, um one day and i think she was asking for wholesale type pricing because she was taking like half a pottle of the stuff a day type thing well it's you know <laughs> <laughs> i 
I'm sorry, but where does all that money come from? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it's hey, when when people find something that that works, they'll allocate a lot of dough to it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's it's really we, cool. we see that with um, you know, exogenous ketones, which I know you've used as well. Yeah. They're not a cheap supplement. No. Um, that the price is coming down, but they're not a cheap supplement. But, yeah. but you know, myself included, I probably I've got to the point now where I'm probably taking exogenous ketones every day. Right. And it's purely because I'm, you know, I mentioned to you off, off air that I'm just working a lot on development and content behind the scenes mm-hmm. and things like that. Sitting in front of a computer for, you know, 10 to 14 hours a day, mm-hmm. just creating content, my, I get, my brain gets fried. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that caffeine with ketones, the combination and the other stuff like lion's mane, cordyceps. Yeah. It basically keeps me on and I couldn't do it for, for good because I think I'd burn out. But yeah. for now, it, it's what's keeping things happening with my brain. Yeah, well, I mean, mate, I think that's a really good segue into, um, you know, that little experiment that, that you pulled together in terms of stuff I put into my body before um, some training sessions. Uh, you know, like some of the uh, sessions that I was doing prior to Aquabike and things like that, look, I'd I wasn't on the wind train of three hours. I was on there for an hour and a half, you know, hour and three quarters. There was a reasonable amount of intensity in there. But uh, when we sort of put together cordyceps, MCT, uh, oil, um, which was, you know, I myself wanted to go down the path of C6 more than anything else if I could in terms of the MCT. And you can talk about that for a few minutes and, and possibly why. Uh, and collagen, uh, you know, like that for me, the my cognitive function was definitely enhanced, and uh, you know, I no problem at all could get through a pretty intense hour and three quarters of exercise uh, in a fasted state uh, when I was putting this uh, little concoction together, um, yeah. and I. I had no problem at all really concentrating and maintaining that concentration over a longer period of time. Uh, so from a little biohack perspective, um, you know, that one for me was was really interesting. Like I hadn't used cordyceps before, uh, and I think they definitely provided um, some benefit in that sort of endurance and uh, cognitive function space. Yeah. I think I think cordyceps begs for a lot more research mm. because what has been done thus far shows it's got a pretty pronounced effect on aerobic and anaerobic capacity. Mm. Mm. But you know, most of that's done in um, aging athletes. Yeah. It's you know research that's come out of China and whatnot. And I think we certainly need more. But our, our clinical experience is that cordyceps just gives you a kick in the butt. Mm-hmm. I mean, from from what I've seen and experienced people tend to have a much lower rate of perceived exertion yeah um and they just their resilience their work threshold seems to be higher yeah. as compared to say lion's lion's mane which uh reduces rpe as well yeah. but doesn't seem to have the same effect on threshold it's more just because you're more focused and and yeah. on cognitively yeah with technical skills you're obviously a bit better yeah and look i mean the that, that was really one of the, the super interesting things for me going into that little aqua bike in, in Napier. Like, I, I hadn't been doing a lot of training before that race. Um, somehow managed to sample a spot on the podium. Look, it wasn't a massive race, but still managed to get some decent output there. Um, yeah. And I. Where'd you come in? 
Oh, I got stewed, but there you go. Um, nice, nice work. So it was a bit of fun. Um, yeah. uh, I used cordyceps and super starch during the race. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I used my fueling during that race was I put a sachet of super starch in a bottle, uh, and I had a tablespoon of um, life cycle cordyceps in there. Um, and then I also had, um, uh, I used the cliff blocks that had uh, caffeine in them. So there was an element of, of caffeine in there as uh, caffeine in there as well. Um, and I'm just looking at the packet now. So these cups, so I had three, what's that? 50, 75. I had 125 grams of carbohydrate over the space of um, three hours of racing. Um, so not not a great deal, but a, you know a relatively short race, I suppose. Um, yeah. But yeah, from a, a endurance point of view, um, look, I mean, I, yeah, I faded a little bit towards the end, but I knew I was going to because I hadn't uh, done the. Um, I hadn't ticked all the boxes for the race in terms of training, uh, but look, if I had structured my fueling differently, I think the result probably would have been a bit different, if I'm really honest with you. Uh, Worst. Sorry, yep, I'd say so. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Um, and then going into Brecker, um, you know, I for the three months before Brecker, I knew that I wasn't going to get the training done, uh, that I wanted to to go fast, and this is where the mindset came into it as well, because, um, look, I, I just approached that race and I managed to convince Josh, my racing buddy, that we're just going to go and have some fun here. You know, it's, it's different. Uh, let, let's just go and have some fun in a really cool place in the, in the, in the world, you know. Bay of Islands, great spot. Um, so I, like I said earlier, pretty much went pescatarian uh, for probably three months leading up to that race. Uh, used MCT every day. Uh, I was on collagen every day, magnesium. So I was doing everything right. I had a really clean diet um, and really honed in on my hydration. But then from a... Um, Fueling perspective prior to that race, I had uh, sachet of super starch, tablespoon of cordyceps, and I had um, my usual coffee in the morning with some MCT. Um, so that was kind of like the pre-race meal, if you like. Uh, and then during that race, uh, because the aid stations were so far apart and you had to self-support a lot of the way, uh, I went through 60 grams of carbohydrate an hour because I, I basically just shoveled everything and I could when I got to an aid station. Uh, yeah. And I probably had 50 megs of caffeine an hour, uh, which is probably a bit much. Okay. Um, but I'm over, over how long? Seven hours. Okay. Hmm. Um, I kept my that's not, that's not too bad though. Yeah, it's not it's not too bad, but it's more than probably what I would use ordinarily. Because uh, yeah. I knew I wasn't going to have any cordyceps or anything like that during the day, so I was kind of I was looking for something else. Um, and you know, we got through that in seven hours. The winners were six hours, uh, and neither Josh nor I had done a lot of training before that race. Uh, you know, and we touched on mindset earlier. Uh, we went into the race to have some fun. 
um, and we kind of felt our way into it. We looked after ourselves from a fueling perspective and hydration as well because you had to carry your own uh, cup for hydration. But we, okay. we carried bottles, so we always had fluid with us, whereas a lot of guys only use cups at the aid stations. And when your aid stations are 60 or 90 minutes apart and you're only mm. taking in two, 300 mils of fluid, it's not a lot. No. Um, so we kind of nailed our fueling and hydration uh, and really just felt our way into that race and enjoyed the day um, and focused on the process, not the outcome, because we were both, we could be out here for nine hours, you know, we just got no idea. Um, yeah. I've been listening to some great podcasts lately with some exceptional athletes and it's been a bit of a theme where a lot of them have been emphasizing that point of focusing on on the process, yeah. not on winning. And even in terms of their mindset coaching from top mindset coaches and psychologists, they're basically shifting away from that idea of, you know, focusing on that outcome in terms of winning and just really focusing on each moment doing well, you yeah. know, whether that's training, whether it's yeah. eating, whether it's eventing. 100%. And this is where the, the whole notion of peak performance is a really interesting one. Um, you know, and we've got a, a few minutes left, but I mean, at a high level, um, you know, bringing across my corporate learning into this environment has been quite an interesting process uh, because there are a lot of transferables. And if you think about peak performance at an individual level, be it in a corporate environment or you know, out there on the racetrack or in a ring fighting, whatever it, whatever it might be, there are some key pillars, you know, like uh, mindset, uh, live in the moment. So um, actually control what you can control. No, yeah. Don't worry about the uncontrollables because that you, you just can't, you can't, uh, you can't legislate for that and stands the reason you can't control it. So just focus on, on what you can control. Um, yeah. have a plan, you know, um, so just make sure that you've got your race plan or your fight plan and you've got contingencies um, and, you know, that live in the moment piece talks to the process. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're uh, fixated on the future or you're fixated on the past, um, then actually how are you controlling the moment? In terms of what you can control at that particular point in time, um, yeah. and I, I think you know now it's becoming a more um, common theme of coaching conversations, just in terms of helping people to understand that if they live in the moment and focus on the process uh, and use the time they have available, then the result will just take care of itself. You know, I think that's obviously so much more conducive to to actually turning up to the day prepared as well. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people focus on what's my mindset preparation for the event, yeah. but they're missing training sessions and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I used to always be probably more stressed about training because I knew that if I did all the sessions, the day would kind of take care of itself. Yeah. Um, so I was more worried about, shit, I'm, I'm missing sessions, you know, on the day, mm -hmm. shit, I, sick rip and rip, right? Weightlifting competition. Yep. That's all you do. Mm -hmm. um, the, the main stress you have on competition day, I think, is when you haven't done the prep. Absolutely. Well, or, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely one reason. Or um, are your expectations realistic? Yeah. You know, is, are your, is what you're trying to achieve a smart goal? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and, and, like, 
if what you're trying to achieve on race day all of a sudden becomes unrealistic, then yeah, your stress is through the roof. Yeah. Uh, but look, if, if you, to your point, have ticked all the boxes in training, um, the day will take care of itself from your point of view. If someone turns up and they're faster or bigger or stronger, well, you, you can't control that. Well, and you can't control winning either, right? No. You can only control whether you punch the other dude and avoid his punches or whether you can pedal fast enough, yeah. run fast enough. That's the only thing. You can't ever control whether you're actually going to win. No, 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 that's right. Dead right. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, that might, the mindset piece is, is uh, it's definitely, uh, I think, talked about more now uh, at sort of at, my level of the coaching environment than it has been previously and so it should be you know it plays a massive yeah. role uh, not only in people's exercise but in their nutrition their home life you know their, their work life yeah and i mean that translates so well right I, I remember speaking with steve angel many years ago who many people consider to be the strongest man in the world and he was making the point that when people become physically strong they typically become mentally strong you can't have it mm both ways right yeah. or you can't have it either way it's got to be the mm -hmm. same and I, I think that's the same with anyone who puts themselves through the fire in any athletic pursuit it, it has massive benefits for mental resilience and vice versa mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely I think um, you know one of the really interesting things that I have uh, quite enjoyed experiencing over the last few months when I did decide I was going to do a, a couple of races for the first time and I don't know how many years was just working through that process again and um, getting that sort of feeling back, I guess, of, you know, of being relatively fit, I suppose, not as fit as I could be, but definitely fitter than I had been um, and how that also fed into and vice versa, the mental state. Yeah. Um, you know, it's... It, I know from experience in the past, I'm the sort of person that needs to be relatively active to have a to be in a decent mental state. But actually, working through that process again for three or four months with a goal in mind and how it did tune up the body and the mind um, with the regular exercise piece, uh, actually, you know, tidying the diet up and and putting good stuff into the body at the right time and the right sort of volumes in terms of macronutrients and and micronutrients and and uh you know to getting some experimenting done along the way kind of reinvigorated me a little bit i guess probably in terms of uh what a little bit of focus can do yeah absolutely mm. um, but i guess um the, the mindset thing would be a, a good note to end on yeah Except that I do want to grab your impressions on one thing that you mentioned before that I was really interested in, mainly because I, I've noticed the same. And I was talking with um, one of my clients, Joe Parker, this morning, the you know mm -hmm. former world, world heavyweight champ. Yeah. And he's noticed massive benefits from reducing dairy in his diet in terms of inflammation and okay. joint niggles, you know, those types of things. What did you notice when you uh, pulled the dairy back? Um, well, look, I pull dairy and meat back at the same time, red meat. Um, yep. But I do. I, I do I eat a lot of dairy. I probably eat a reasonable amount of dairy uh, regularly enough, so I can give some anecdotal feedback. Um, what did I find? Well, uh, my body composition changed quite quickly. Um, would be the most interesting one for me. Uh, so I, I didn't 
cut out red meat or dairy in an effort to lose weight. Um, that wasn't my goal. I just wanted to have a crack and see what happened. Uh, I went from, in four, four months, it was about four months, I think, from memory, I went from 79 kgs down to just under 74. Um, and look, that wasn't the only change I made, but it was probably the most significant change I'd made. So I was taking MCT wow. every day. Um, I was putting in the right volume of food that I had to, to maintain the exercise that I was uh, doing. Um, so there was definite weight loss there. Uh, you know, uh, I was pretty diligent with my collagen. Um, so I'm pretty sure that had an impact as well, but uh, I got a, one of my hips is pretty dodgy, you know, it uh, doesn't handle a lot of running well. Um, and my knees historically haven't been great, but I managed to get through um, 30 Ks of running for six weeks leading up to one of the races. Uh, now I hadn't done 30 Ks of running in a week for years. Yeah. Um, you know, because I just, I, I couldn't, it, it, yeah. I just became too sore. Um, so yeah, there was definitely, I think some benefit there for me in terms of um, maintaining the in, the integrity of my body as such uh, with some training load in there, some uh, physical training load in terms of impact load. Um, and, you know, in a similar sense to what Joe experienced, I, I didn't I didn't become injured during that time. Uh, I got to race day in, in pretty good shape. Like I said, I didn't go in with any injuries. Um, so, yeah, the benefits and whether or not that also helped my uh, cognitive function during that period, I could have as well, you know. Um, so I'll do it again, definitely, uh, and be a little bit more sort of considered in understanding what's actually happening during the period of time, because uh, I'm going to do some racing again next summer. But um, I, I can definitely see now more so than previously, I think, for me as an individual, the benefit of, of stripping out a lot of that red meat and uh, dairy. And I, and I didn't get sick. I didn't get yeah. sick during my training either, uh, which was, for me, is a fairly good indicator that what I was doing was uh, was working for me. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because a lot of people will will say, well, there's there's no problem with dairy unless you actually have a defined allergy and, you know, you're lactose intolerant, whatever it happens to be, anything that's sort of giving you an issue. And I, I would say on, on balance that that's probably correct, you know, yeah. but there are a lot of people who tend to get better results when they cut it back a little bit. And when we look at the the reviews of the research on a whole range of health conditions, we often find that for anyone who suffers from inflammatory conditions of any type, mm it's prudent to cut out dairy and see whether that gives you a benefit. And for a lot of people it does. Yeah. So it is interesting. And I think it's something that a lot of athletes should probably experiment with mm. a, a little bit because you know, that excess of inflammation, oh, um, it, it's, it's huge, you know, and for those of us who are getting a bit older, I know the biggest thing I battle against is my joints now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And if, they, if they can be good. And I think the things that help them to be good for me is collagen, um, you know, eating a, an anti-inflammatory diet, yep. taking collagen, taking yep. MCTs and fish oils, yep. my joints feel a heck of a lot better and I can I can actually train. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can actually exercise. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
hundred percent. No, yeah, it's uh, they're all really valid points, you know. Um, and like say, I'd, I'd encourage people to give it a try because look, you don't try, you don't know. Exactly. I would also encourage people if they're struggling at all to find a decent coach. You know, it's something that um, Dan made. A, a really good point the other day about the fact that sometimes you just you get lost and you just can't figure it out yourself mm-hmm. um, i think guys like eric helms have said pretty much the same thing obviously a lot of people can but if you can't i think it's worth seeking out a good coach mm-hmm. and so anyone who's listening in and they are interested in in what you do i would highly recommend going and checking out elevate-coaching.co.nz and check out what paul does as a both a nutrition and endurance coach um you're obviously my go-to guy for in-person coaching for endurance because <laughs> it's not something I do. So yeah, definitely check that out. And um, mate, it's always good to talk with you. I know we we only cover about half the things we plan on, um, but that just means you're going to have to come back. Exactly. Look forward to the next pack. Awesome, buddy. Great chatting with you. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Cliff. Cheers, Paul. That was the Carb Appropriate Podcast with me, Cliff Harvey. If you'd like to watch the live recording of the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Cliff Harvey. Find out about me and what I do at cliffharvey.com and make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all popular podcast channels and to our YouTube channel at holisticperformance.tv.